All right. So I got one quick announcement, and that is uh, the men of Element are going to go karting, go goat karting. Uh, we're not going to like boomers or something. We're like, yeah, cool, boomers. Let's play some mini golf after. Uh, no, we're going to go like official K1 karting. Uh, which means we're going to have to drive down to L.A., pay the money to get on the cool go-karts to go like 40 miles an hour. It's going to be a great competition all day. Uh, this event will cost some money, though. It's going to cost about 50, maybe 60 bucks. Now, before you're like, that's oh, so much money. Save 25 this month, save 25 next month, bam, you're golden, golden. And then you can go karting with us, hopefully. Either way, it's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, all right, I hope you guys all had a great Christmas. Uh, mine was actually quite, quite well. Uh, I'm pretty stoked on it. Um, and I would love to talk about Christmas, but we really don't have the time to today because we're covering a lot of ground today. I, I think every time I get up here, they give me like a longer chapter. Okay, like the first one is like 38 verses, and I was like, 38 verses? What am I going to do with 38 verses? That's so long. And then it was like 45, and I was like, there's no way there's a longer chapter than this. 55 verses today. So you guys are in for a treat. Okay, We're going to be here a while. Hopefully you're comfortable. If you need to like refill your coffee or get a snack, I totally understand. If you leave now, you could probably hit Starbucks and be back for the most of the message. So keep that in mind. We're going to get to the end, and you're going to be like, I should have gone to Starbucks. Dang it. All right, so will you guys stand me for the reading of God's word? Uh, this is 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Will you guys pray with me? Uh, God, we just thank you for today. Uh, we pray that you would, uh, you would be here, God, that you would, uh, you would teach us. Um, God, I pray that you would, you would mold our hearts, you would shape our hearts to be hearts of, of repentance. So we would have a great hope in you, a great faith in you, and we would know that you are a God who is loving and forgiving, um, and we would repent of our sin um, and move on to a place of joy uh, because you are a source of eternal joy. Now, be with us today, and in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, all right, so if you have a Bible, you can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 31. We're talking about all 55 verses today in Genesis 31, so just get comfortable with it. Um, starting in verse 1, just hopping right in. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying that Jacob had taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he had gained all his wealth. Okay, now this is really just a continuation of last week. Okay, This whole narrative is actually 87 verses. We decided to break it up into two weeks for you. You're welcome. Okay, that is a yes. Um, so uh, if you guys remember last week, we talked about uh, Jacob has been, you know, abused and mistreated for the last 20 years. And he goes to Laban and he says, look, Laban, dude, this is this is ridiculous. I want to leave. And he says, OK, instead of leaving, how about I like give you a raise or pay you in some other way? And he's like, give me all the broken sheep. Give me all the spotted, speckled sheep and none of like the pure white or pure black sheep. I'll take all the kind of rejects. This would be like taking all the Fords at a Chevy dealership as his payment, okay? Not, you guys remember that from last week, some of you, okay? So it's not that Jacob has stole anything. It's that he is just business of broken sheep is really taking off, I guess. I'm not really sure, but uh, verse 2. Now Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with the same favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob is finally making some money with his broken sheep business, and God says leave. 
Now, I think this would be like a bittersweet thing because it's like, I'm finally making some money and now God says leave. It's like you couldn't have showed up five years ago and said leave then. Like, you got to wait till you know, I'm finally starting to make my way in business. But I think God knows he's probably just going to get swindled out of his money by Laban anyway. So he's like, leave now while you can. So verse 4, Jacob sent and called uh, Rachel and Leah into a field where his flock were. And he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with the favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. Uh, you know, I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats had mated with the flock that were striped, spotted, and speckled. So uh, Jacob calls his wives into a field, which is kind of just an awkward sentence. It's not, hey, wife, let's talk. It's wives. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Sister Wives, but when they have like a family meeting, it's like one guy and four women, and it just looks weird. Okay, This is kind of what's happening. There are two to four women in this field that he's talking with, and he's talking with them in this field so no one else can hear. And he starts with this. He goes, your dad is a jerk. Your dad has stealing from us. He's changed my wages 10 times. He's a con man. He's an abuser. And he's trying to get his wives to see their dad for who he truly is. He's an abusive father who doesn't love them, who doesn't care for them, who just cares for money so much so that he would take it from his son-in-law who's trying to provide for his daughters and his grandchildren. He wants to see his wife, he wants to see his wives see their dad for who he truly is, not who they want him to be. Verse 11. And the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob. And I said, here I am. He said, lift up your eyes. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and speckled. That's hard to say. Uh, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. This is where God first revealed himself to Jacob, uh, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So Jacob tells his wives, God has revealed himself to me in a dream. And he said to pack up the family and move. And what I love about this is that he's having a conversation with his wife, wives. um, And that's a very good thing that he's having a conversation about this. Okay, It's not just like, listen, woman, women. We're leaving. Pack up the kids. Let's go. Okay? It's, a, it's a conversation. Um, now, I would imagine this would be a difficult conversation. Okay? You've got to convince four women to move 12 children across the country. Okay? Now, if I wanted to move back to where my parents came from, um, I would have to really have all my ducks in a row to convince my one wife to move back to the upper peninsula of Michigan. Okay, that wouldn't be a very easy conversation to have. Like, hey, let's go to the UP. We could we could get cool accents and like hunt. She'd be like, yeah, that's not gonna happen. Uh, but but this is a conversation that he has, and and so he's got to have this conversation with four women, and so he really kind of makes sure he's got a good opening statement, a good argument, and he opens with this: Your dad is a, is an abusive jerk. That's a pretty good opening statement, and he goes, I've prayed about this a lot which maybe he should have opened with first. Um, And this is what I think God is telling me to do. And it's a good argument. 
See, I think a lot of guys, they take this verse, Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, and they completely like misinterpret it. And they're like, everything I say, the wife has to do. And that's not true, because a lot of the ideas you have, guys, are dumb ideas, okay? I know because I have a lot of dumb ideas, okay? You know, what if you're, what if you're, idea, you know, brings harm to the family or hurts the kids in some way. Your wife should be there to be like, that's stupid. Don't do that. And you're like, I'm going to do it anyways. And then two days later, you're like, dang it. That was stupid. Uh, So he's having a conversation about it. It's a good thing. Verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God had taken away from our fathers belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Rachel and Leah look very honestly at their relationship with their father. And the first thing they ask is, has our dad helped us at all? Has he provided for us at all? If he was to die, would there be any money in his inheritance for his kids? Would there be any money left from in his inheritance to his grandkids? And the answer is no. There's, there's nothing. He goes, they say, he treated us as foreigners. He doesn't treat us like family. He, he abuses us. He steals from us. He doesn't care for us. He doesn't provide for us. He doesn't help us in any way. In fact, he sold us into slavery they start to see that Laban's scheme to get both his daughters married was really just a way where he could like pimp out his daughters. He's like, hey, Jacob, you run my company for 14 years with zero pay, and the pay that I will give you will be my two daughters. Essentially, he pimps them out, and they finally start to realize what his scheme was. They realize that Laban has taken their rightful money and pocketed it. It's like Laban is, is buying Lamborghinis and limousines and yachts. And while his son-in-law with his two daughters and their 12 kids live in a hut. And they're like, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. Why doesn't he help us at all? See, I think that some of you need to do this. I think some of you need to sit down and think about this. Some of you need to sit down and have a conversation like this. And I know that this is kind of a difficult conversation and a difficult topic to talk about, especially the week after Christmas. But some of you have awful parents. Some of you have awful in-laws. I was blessed with good parents. I was blessed with great parents. I was blessed with wonderful in-laws who are, who are fantastic. But some of you have not been blessed in this way. Some of you have been taken advantage of for years and years and years. And you keep trying to convince yourself that you have great parents or that your in-laws are just misunderstood when really you're just in an abusive relationship. My favorite line from talking to someone like this is, well, they have a good heart. Do they? Do they really have a good heart? Proverbs 27, 19 says, as in water, face reflects face. So the heart of a man reflects the man. Our actions, our words, our thoughts, our deeds are reflections of our hearts. So yes, there is such a thing as a hard heart. There are people who do not have good hearts. Chances are you know a few. Stop trying to convince yourself that everyone has a good heart when their actions and their deeds and their attitudes towards you say that they don't. 
start praying that God would reveal himself to these people in a way where their hearts would be softened, where they would be changed. See, if we don't admit that someone has a hard heart, how are we going to pray that God would soften that heart? When we just keep convincing ourselves that they have a good heart, our prayers aren't heard because they aren't said, they aren't lifted up to God in any way when we go, oh, they have a good heart. We need to pray for these people. See, Laban has a wicked heart, so much so that his children and grandchildren would go starving while he drives away in his Bentley thinking, well, that sucks to be you, knowing all along he could easily do something about it. So verse 17, Jacob arose and set his sons and wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that had been gained, the livestock and his possessions that he had acquired to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. Yeah, we're going to come back to that verse in a little bit, because that's just hilarious. Uh, Jacob tricked Laban by not telling him he intended to flee. He fled with all he had and rose across the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. So all the men go out to shear the sheep. Okay, This is a process that would take quite a while. First they have to find all the sheep, then they have to herd them into a central location, then they have to shear them. Okay, This is a process just to get all the sheep in a central location that would take a couple days. I don't know how many of you have experience with herding sheep, like two of us in this room. It's not easy, okay? The movie like Babe with the pig, you know, herding the sheep, that's not real. That never happens, okay? I don't care what Hollywood says. I have herded sheep, and they are dumb, and they want to go this way, and then like four of them want to go this way, and then you got a dog that scares them the other way, and it's it's, it takes a while to herd some sheep. And so herding this many sheep across such a huge location would take days. And so Jacob was like, oh, they're going to go herd sheep? What a great opportunity. No confrontation needed. I'm just going to leave now. What great opportunity. So uh, that's kind of where he sees this. And then this verse I just, I just love. While packing, Rachel stole her father's household gods. I mean, what does that say about your God if it can be stolen? I I mean, really, don't you think that if someone was to go steal a God, don't you think this God would be able to say, hey, I'm God, don't steal me? Like, or or at least, you know, maybe be able to stop you or at least give you like a good shock when you grab it. Like, I I don't know how this happens, but it's it's kind of funny and it's kind of ridiculous. Um, But I mean, if you think about it, it's also really sad because this is us. I mean, so much of the time, this is us. We have gods that can just be taken from us. Let me give you an example. Thanks for asking. (laughs) If the power went out for a day, do you think you'd be able to worship your God? What if the power went out for a week? What if you didn't have internet for a month? Yeah, yeah. How would that reflect the relationship with your God? I mean, so many of us are so consumed with the gods of the Internet that we don't go a day without posting on Facebook or Twitter or Google Plus or something. I mean, we're a culture that worships the Internet. We're a culture that worships TV. We we center our, our living rooms around the TV, not around conversation, around TV. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you, when you sit down to dinner, sit down to dinner around a TV? Just let some of you think about that. All right, cool. Uh, we're, we're a culture that, that worships sex and the opposite sex. 
What if your girlfriend or boyfriend broke up with you? Would you lose your God? You know, someone could steal your phone. Someone could steal your TV. Someone could steal your computer. They could steal your car. They could spill something on your favorite outfit. Um, you could get in an accident, and, and all that time you spent at the gym has now just prepped you for a wheelchair. Your girlfriend, your boyfriend could break up with you. The Internet could go out. These are things that we worship. And I'm not saying that all these things are bad and rooted in evil. I'm saying it's bad when we replace these things with I'm saying it's bad when we replace God with these things. It's pathetic when we have a God that can be stolen. I mean, we laugh at Laban and we poke fun at Laban, which is super fun and super easy to do. But we're the exact same. We do exactly what Romans 1.25 says, and we worship creation rather than creator. See, we need to understand that creation is here to point us towards Christ. Not, not replace Christ, but point us towards. And we go, look at all these great, wonderful things that God did, that God made, that God gave the idea to people to make. How great is our God? Not, wow, God gave someone the idea for Internet. Awesome. I'm going to worship the Internet. It's, it's ridiculous. Verse 22, continuing. <laughs> when it was told to Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. So Laban finds out that they're trying to run away, and he's like, oh, no, you don't. Uh, verse 24. <laughs> but God came to Laban in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So God shows himself to Laban, and he says, you don't get to do anything bad to Jacob. You don't get to talk bad to him. You don't get to trick him into staying. You don't get to beat him up. You don't get to take his life. You don't get to do anything bad. Verse 25, and Laban overtook Jacob. Not a big surprise. Jacob is traveling with four women and 12 children. Laban has got his bros. Uh, now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. Then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? His daughters aren't captive. They're leaving on their own free will. They're like, you're an abusive jerk. We're out of here. And you're going to see Laban kind of go through this up and down of emotions, and then you're going to see his true heart be revealed at the very end. Verse 27, why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me that I might have sent you away in myrrh and song and tambourine? He says, we could have had a going away party for you. I would have got confetti and hired a band and it would have been glorious. That would have never happened. Verse 28, why did you not permit me, permit me to kiss my sons and daughters farewell? You have done foolishly. He goes, you didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren goodbye. And he goes, Laban, none of the grandchildren wanted to say goodbye to you. They all hate you. Verse 29. It is in my power to do you harm. That is his true heart. He goes, I sharpened my knife because you disrespected me and you tried to trick me. I can do you harm. How dare you make fun of me? How dare you trick me? How dare you disrespect me? But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. He goes, you're lucky your God got involved because I was ready to do you some serious, serious harm. Verse 30. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Again, this is his true heart. He doesn't care about his children or his grandchildren. He goes, you hurt my pride and you took my gods. That's what I care about. 
Verse 31, Jacob answered him and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Rachel steals them. Jacob's got no idea. And he's like, anyone who stole anything from you will kill him right here, right now. Verse 30, so Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and to the tent of the two female servants and did not find them. He went out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in her camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt about the tent but did not find them. I, I had to hit that with emphasis because it's pretty pathetic when your gods can be sit on. Um, <clears throat> but... Uh, so this is like written in a way that's supposed to be very funny. It's like ancient Hebrew comedy, and it's making fun of other gods. It's Laban running around this camp, running into all kinds of different tents, being like, is my God here? No. Is my God here? No. Where is he? Hide and go seek with God is so hard. He always wins, you know. <clears throat> and it's this crazy thing, okay? And you have to keep this is supposed to be funny, okay? Because it might not be funny. <clears throat> Rachel, and she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of the woman is upon me. She says, I can't get up because I'm having my period. It's ancient Hebrew mocking other gods' period comedy. It's, where's your God? Rachel's having her period on it. <laughs> what does that say about your God? kind of awkward now I some of you guys think it's funny some of you guys are just like I'm never coming back um, now you have to understand I don't know if Rachel's actually on her period or not um, maybe it's just an excuse probably wouldn't be the first time all right I know some of you ladies you love this excuse this is your go-to excuse like oh I can't help with that I'm on my period well that looks really heavy my menzies are flaring up you know, oh, well, you know, I'm just angry and bitter today because I'm on my period when really it's just an excuse. Okay, now some of you ladies, you love this verse or you love this excuse. And now you're like, yes, I got a verse for it. Thank you, James. Um, I'm just giving you a warning. Some of the guys in your life are onto you. Okay, they know what's happening because okay? you use this excuse like every week. And they're like, I went to seventh grade. I went to the class. This is only supposed to be once a month. What's, what's, what's happening here? You know? Uh, I don't know. It's just crazy. Either way, we're on to you. See, what's, what, what's funny about this is it ends here. It ends with, with, I'm on my period. Okay, I'm done looking for my gods. Like, that's brought up, and Laban folds, which is very true for today. Like, a woman brings up her period, and a guy's like, I'm done. You win. I know. Like, four single guys walked out of the room because they're like, I can't take it. Never mind. I'm done. Ancient Hebrew period comedy. It's hilarious. You're welcome. Uh So he searched but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. Have you found any of your household gods? 
Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten of the rams of your flock. When I, what was torn by wild beasts, I did not bring to you, but I bore the loss of it myself. From my hands you required it, whether stolen by day or night. He says, look, people stole from you and you took it out of my paycheck. There I was by day, the heat consumed me, and the night, or and the cold by night, and sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I have served you fourteen years for your two daughters, one of which I didn't even want, and six years for your flocks, and you have changed my wages ten times. He says, for 20 years you have sinned against me. For 20 years you have been stealing from me and your daughters and your grandchildren. From 20 years we have been abused and now we're done. It, it kind of reminds me of this verse, Romans 5, 3. It's 3 through 5 actually. We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us. You see that his suffering produces endurance. Twenty long years of endurance, and that leads to a great development of character. And what Jacob is doing right now is he's comparing the two characters. He goes, Laban, this is your character, and this is my character. You have sinned against me in all these ways, and I have not sinned against you. He puts it all out on the table. Verse, 20, verse 42. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my afflictions and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. He says, I've done nothing but good to you. God has provided for me in these 20 years because I know that you weren't. I worked my butt off to get my kids like top ramen and grilled cheese every night. And you went home to Gordon Ramsay as your personal chef. I have done nothing wrong to you in 20 years. And now you want to accuse me of stealing your puny, worthless, stupid gods? No, no, that's not happening here. You put me through 20 years of slave labor. And now, thanks be to God, I'm done. And what I love about this is he brings it all back to God. And he gives God a great thanks. After 20 years of slave labor, I don't know if my heart would really be in a place where I am giving thanks to God. But you see that Jacob is. See, I don't know how many of us would be like Jacob in this same situation. 20 years of slave labor, and he acts with integrity every single day. Every day, he goes to work knowing that he is going to be abused, knowing that he is going to be cheated, knowing that he is going to come home at the end of the week with a very, very small paycheck, and he still works his butt off. How many of us can say that we only called in sick when we were truly deathly ill? How many of us can say we always showed up on time? How many of us can say we never stole anything from our work? How many of us can say we're a good witness to our coworkers, to our bosses, to our clients? See, Jacob has done nothing wrong. And when it comes to a day where it's all laid out, Jacob stands in innocence. And Laban stands in just this crazy amount of sin. See, I love this because... 
You see like this like 20 years of suffering is, is kind of like this garden in which God produces this great character in Jacob. You see, his suffering produces character, and that character produces a hope in him. Verse 43. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for my children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. Let there be a witness between you and me. He goes, those daughters are mine. Those grandchildren are mine. And the only way this Laban could see this happening is if he viewed Jacob as his property and as his slave. So he's a pretty crooked man. And so they kind of set up some of the terms of the relationship here. Verse 45. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Gerar Sahadutha. Maybe. Um, But Jacob called it Gilead. (laughs) Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Gilead and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, God is a witness between you and me. You see, this is Laban saying this. The guy who's been a jerk the entire book is now saying, if you treat my daughters bad, if you hurt my grandchildren, God is watching. Essentially, he's saying, if you treat my family, if you treat your family like I treated my family, remember you're God's watching. Like that's a weird kind of threat. But anyways, verse 51. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness. This pillar is a witness that you will not pass over this heap to me and I will not pass over this heap to you to do you harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. He says, you see this mark here? You see this pillar? They draw a line. And they go, you see this line? You don't pass over this line to me, and I won't pass over this line to you. Laban goes, this is a line, and if you cross this line, you are dead to me. My grandchildren are dead to me. My daughters are dead to me. And when you fail, because I won't be there to pick up the pieces for you, don't come crawling back to me. There will be nothing for you here. And this is the terms of the relationship. You cross that line, you never speak to me. Kind of a brutal thing. You really start to see his heart in this. Um, so verse 55. Early in the morning, Laban rose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, blessed them, and Laban departed and returned home. And they leave. And that's 55 verses. I know. I know some of you are like, oh, is it over? Not yet. Uh, I'm hopefully going to wrap this up in the next five minutes. We could spend the rest of the service talking about it, but I won't keep you here that long. I see kind of kind of two things in this chapter, two two big things in this chapter. Um, and, and one thing I see is anger. I see a lot of anger in this chapter. You see Jacob is filled with anger. You see Jacob's family and his wives are filled with anger. And then you see Laban is filled with anger towards Jacob and towards Jacob's family. And it's these two different types of anger. On, on Jacob's side, you've got this, you've got this just anger 
anger at someone who has been sinning and getting away with it for 20 years. And then on Laban's side, you've got this unjust anger, this, you hurt my pride, you disrespected me, you did something I didn't want, and because you did that, I am angry with you. See, it it makes me think, what kind of anger do we walk around with? Do we walk around with this just anger, where we're angry at sin, we're angry with the things that God is angry about? Or do we walk around with this, this unjust anger, this anger of, you hurt me, You hurt my pride. You did something that I don't like. And because of that, I'm going to hold on to bitterness. And I'm going to hold on to this grudge because you offended me in some way. And I have the power to harm you. Proverbs 11.2 says this. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. You see that Jacob is approaching his anger, his, his, his just anger from a place of humility. And this leads to character, which leads to hope, which leads to this great faith in God. You see that Laban approaches his unjust anger from a place of pride, and it brings him low. Because this family leaves, and he doesn't see his grandchildren ever again. He doesn't see his daughters ever again. His God leaves with them, apparently. It's this difference between these two angers. So that's one of the things I see. The the next thing I see, and and what I really think this chapter kind of boils down to, um, is this great misconception that a lot of Christians and a lot of people have today, but the Bible shows us over and over and over again, yet for some reason we don't get it, and for some reason we forget it every time we hear it. And that is, everyone is a bad guy. We, We like to think there are people in white hats and people in black hats, when really there are people in black hats and Jesus. Those are your two options, okay? And since none of you are Jesus, and since I'm not Jesus, that means all of us are wearing a black hat. That means all of us are bad guys. See, we get this with Laban. We understand that Laban is a bad guy. He's a crooked guy. He's an abusive father. He's a jerk. He's a swindler. He takes people's money. He takes the money out of his grandchildren's hand. This guy is a jerk and a sinner and wrong. But so is Rachel. You look at Rachel, and Rachel is someone who just went along with her father's plan to, to really trick her husband. You see that Rachel spends her entire life in competition with her sister Leah. What I think Rachel's big sin is, 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 um, is control. She wants to control everything. She wants her husband to do what she says to do when she says to do it. She wants the people around her to do what she says to do when she says to do it. And she wants to control and manipulate everything. You look at Leah, and Leah has got this sin too. She also tricked Jacob, and she, really, she just, I'm trying to put this in a way delicately, She's sexually promiscuous. Let's just say that. She, she, she tricked Jacob, had sex with him, got her to marry him by some way, and she's got this, this evil kind of sexual sin with her. You look at Jacob, and, and Jacob's big sin is being a coward. He cowers away from everything. He is bossed around by his brother, by his mom, by his uncle, by his wives. He is bossed around so much for the sake of, of keeping the peace of not being confrontational. And because he doesn't want to be confrontational, he ends up with two or four wives, depending how you look at at it, 20 years of slave labor, a brother who wants to kill him. 
See, this isn't, a, this isn't a group of people who are in the wrong place at the wrong time who are being taken advantage of. This is a big group of sinners. And the hope in this is some of them turn to repentance and some of them don't. You see that Jacob and Rachel and Leah, they all turn to repentance. But Laban doesn't. If you take it back to Romans, their suffering produces a, a, an endurance, and their endurance produces character, and their character produces this great hope in Christ. And they see their sin, and they understand their sin, and they truly repent of sin. See, Genesis 31 is a text that should bring us all to repentance. It should be a text where we look at it, and we don't laugh at these four characters. We don't laugh at these four people. We go, oh my gosh, that's really sad because that's me. Oh my gosh, I have false gods. I worship money. I would sacrifice my family to get more money. I would sacrifice my family to get other gods. I'm Laban. We go, oh my gosh, I'm Rachel. I try and control everything around me. I try and manipulate people. I try and get people to do what I want them to do. I'm in need of repentance. I'm Leah. I've got this sexual sin that I carry around. I'm in need of repentance. I'm Jacob. I'm a coward, and I want to be non-confrontational, even if it means bringing up the truth and fighting for the truth. I'm not even going to fight for that. See, this is a text that should all bring us to repentance because we identify with at least one of these people, and then we thank God that he offers forgiveness. We come to communion and we break the cracker which represents his body which was broken for us and we dip it in the wine or the grape juice and we go, God, you are so good for coming and dying for us. God, I pray that you would produce a great hope in me, that, that, that you would soften my heart, that I would be drawn to repentance and drawn towards you and would turn and you would make me new. And because of that, I would show that love to other people. We worship God through music. The band's going to come up and they're going to play a few more songs and we sing of God's grace and God's glory and God's forgiveness and, and the redemption that he brings to us. And we thank him for that. We thank him for the chance to repent because none of us are worthy of it. We worship God through tithes and offerings and we give God some of our money as a way of saying, money isn't my God. I do not have other gods. Jesus Christ is my God. And he has given me so much. And because he's given me so much, I give some back to him. And we worship God through tithes. We worship God through prayer. There's going to be elders or deacons in the back. And if you need prayer for something, if you need to talk with someone, if you're in a season where you're suffering, go pray with them. Pray that God would produce a hope in you. Pray that God would take your suffering and produce a great character, and that great character would lead to a hope in Christ. Pray for redemption. Lastly, uh, we worship God through community. There's going to be some goodies in the back and some coffee back there, which you guys probably all need a refill for because I talked for like 45 minutes. Um, okay, maybe only 40. Uh, <clears throat> But, but go back there and, and talk with someone. Go back there and get to know someone. Join a gospel community. Ask people this question. Who do you identify with? Do you identify with Laban? Do you identify with Rachel, with Leah, with Jacob? And then together, seek repentance. Together, seek community. Together, seek Christ. Seek forgiveness as a group. And then go out and live that. 
so other people see the hope that God has produced in us and in turn are drawn towards him. Will you guys pray with me? Uh, God, we just we thank you for, for coming to earth and dying for us, for coming and take the, taking the punishment that we deserve, God, taking our sin and, and dying with it. God, we know that we are not worthy of you. We know we are not worthy of your love, of your grace, but you give it freely, and we thank you so much for that. God, let us be a people who, who understand our sin, who see our sin, and instead of, of just embracing our sin, God, we would seek repentance for it. We would seek you. And through that, you would produce a great hope in us, and we would have a great faith in you. And in turn, we would go out and we would live that hope, we would live that faith so that other people might come to know who you are and of your glory by the way we live. God, we thank you for loving us so much. In Jesus' name, amen.